cry is what our title is today in terms of praying in the spirit. Praying in the spirit part one this week, praying in the spirit part two next week or from Romans chapter eight. And you've got a handout with scriptures and some points on. You can use that for quiet time material or for further study. I think it's taken for granted a lot of the time in the Christian life that we know how to pray. We can take it for granted that perhaps we should know how to pray, that it should be easy to pray. It should be, should be something that we develop without too much difficulty. But it, I, it seems to me, at least in my own experience, that learning how to pray and learning what prayer really means is quite a challenge. It's certainly not a lot of the things I thought it was growing up. And I'm sure it's not a lot of the things I probably still think it is. As as the years go by, I realize that my, well, I feel that my prayers from a year or five years ago were quite immature. And I think, perhaps I've got it nailed now. And then I suppose that another year or few, I'll look back on my, the maturity level and the effectiveness or the meaningfulness of my prayer life at this time and think, well, that was nothing. And I know God's patient with us and we're all learning about the relationship with God. But I do think now and again, it's important to stop and think clearly, as clearly as we can, about what the scriptures are telling us about what prayer is about and how we can deepen our relationship with God through prayer. And so we're taking a break from the, the book of Acts for a couple of weeks just to look at this because it's been on my heart for several reasons I'll share with you and also because it's formed some of the material I've been teaching on Friday nights down in Thames Valley. And as I've been teaching it, it's changed the way I think about prayer and about the Spirit I want to bring some of the fruit of that uh, for us here today. So that's what we're looking at. Two weeks on how the Spirit inspires our prayers. Now to do that justice, we should also think a little bit about the Spirit specifically. So let's refresh our minds on some of the aspects of what the Spirit is and does for us. Like in this passage where Jesus says, I will ask the Father. This is great. He says, I'll ask the Father. And he will give you another advocate or counselor or companion to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. This is who we have. And then also, in Ephesians chapter 1, when you believed, you were marked in him, in Christ, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, you read a verse like that and you think, there's an awful lot in there that I'm not grasping. But I use that verse as a, a prayer starter, I would say at least once a week, where I begin my prayer by thanking God that I have the spirit that guarantees my inheritance. What, and I love to think about that. My inheritance in the hereafter is guaranteed. It's not about me. It's about the spirit. And that the spirit is the, what is it, the seal. The seal. I'm stamped with that seal saying, belongs to God. Belongs to Christ. By the spirit. I've been sealed. I've been guaranteed. And I enjoy starting my prayers that way because it reminds me of, of the way that God views me and not necessarily just how I'm feeling about myself right 
there and then, which is not always terribly positive. But that's what something else the Spirit does. And our theme verse for the year is about the Spirit. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. He lives in us as a dwelling, not only personally, but collectively, because he's writing there, Paul, to a church. And the you is plural. You are being built together, you as a group. The Spirit lives in you. God's building something here. So with that in mind, let's go to our, our main scripture for today, which is Romans 8, starting um, here in, where are we? Is it verse 15, I think? Yes, in verse 15. And then as we go through this, let me ask you to think about, and meditate on what you're learning here about, not only prayer, but about the Spirit. So in verse 15, it says, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in... Sorry, verse yeah, 15. Does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by extension, daughtership too, right? And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So, what, what a lot there is in that passage. And we're not going to unpack it all. I want to focus more narrowly on the phrase from verse 15, 
We cry, Abba, Father. And next week, Abba, Father. But this week, we cry. Two simple points today about prayer. Firstly, prayer is certainly personal and certainly private in some regards. But prayer, biblically, is often communal. It's often we. You notice here that as Paul writes, we cry, Abba, Father. He doesn't cry, you cry. He doesn't say, you cry, Abba, Father. It's we cry. He's writing to a church saying, we generally together cry. We together. Um, in Luke 11, in Matthew 6, when what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer is given, it's not my Father who is in heaven. It's our Father in heaven, who isn't in heaven. We need community prayer. We're designed to be people who pray together, who pray for one another, who know one another's needs, and who pray together. It was great having Rob Payne here last week. Uh, great, excellent lesson. And uh, I know we really enjoyed having him, so I'm going to try and get him back as soon as possible. Um, one of the things I corresponded with him afterwards and asked him for some feedback and his impressions of the service and everything, and he was extremely complimentary. And then he just put a question at the bottom of his email. He said, um, do you have prayer meetings? And I thought about that, and I thought, well, I wrote back to him, and I said, you know what, we actually pray together a fair bit, and when the men gather on a Wednesday, we often spend a fair chunk of our time praying. I think the women do too, from, not that I'm there. Um, but I think we do do that, and we do here and there pray together, but it was an interesting question. And it wasn't prompted by anything that I had asked or anything about our service, actually. It was just something he put at the end of his message. Do you have prayer meetings? I thought, well, maybe, maybe not. And it just, it was funny coming together with some thinking I've been doing about communal prayer and studying this passage and thinking about it. And I wonder whether there's something here that God is trying to get our attention about is praying together more. Whether as a whole church group or whether as two people praying together, three people praying together, I, I'm not sure. But if we are going to see Ephesians 2.22 come to fruition, that we're being built together as a building for God, then prayer's got to be part of that, hasn't it? Because it certainly was in the first century. I'm reminded of this in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. How can we rejoice together or suffer together, mourn together, be honored together, unless we know each other's needs? And part of that is then we can pray about those, those very things. We pray together, we groan together. We'll talk about the groaning bit in a minute. We cry about our Father, but this is what we do together. In the early church, when they went through tough times, what was their instinct? When they had persecution in Acts chapter 4, what was their instinct? They come together to pray. When Peter is put into prison, what's their instinct? To come together and pray. Um, they pray somewhat faithlessly, you might say, because they're then surprised when he's released. But that's a whole other story. But at least, at least they're praying together. They are together. Do, do we know each other's prayer requests? We get the headlines, I think, sometimes, because when there's an emergency which I'll share about in a minute, some of you know in our family, and then we get that message sent around. But what about the day-to-day -day things? The things that are on our hearts, that are meaningful and real for us, are we letting each other know what the requests are? Paul talked about his prayer requests, uh, like in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 
As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Paul, the great apostle, feels the need to ask others to pray for him. Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was uh, with you. And in James chapter 5, a passage we probably know reasonably well, confess your sins to each other and not only do that, but pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So there's something here about knowing the needs of each other to pray about. There's something here about knowing the sins of each other to to pray about, Um, knowing the deeper levels of the heart and the spirit. Now, as most of you will know, know, we've had a challenging week, and I'll talk more about that under the cry point too, but just uh, as as we had... um, one day this week, we had three family members in three different hospitals in three different counties. Uh, my mother in hospital in Kent, recovering from a hip operation. My son in hospital here in Watford, recovering from some things that took him into A&E. Now, my mother-in-law in hospital in Buckinghamshire, uh, in Stoke Mandeville, uh, rec- uh, because she had a, a bad foot infection and uh, w- was laid up there. And so Penny and I were running around between three counties and three hospitals, and as well as our children moving house and moving them out, moving all their possessions into our garage, which is now completely full to the ceiling, literally. Uh, And things are held together with bungees to make sure they don't fall over and and crush people as you manage to squeeze by. And and, and, and Lydia's getting married in in two weeks, as you know. And so it's like, you know you get to the level where it's up to here, and then it's kind of up to here. It feels like it's up there somewhere. And, and we'll talk about the groaning, the crying bit in a minute, but, just, but to know that others knew what our needs were and to know that others were praying for, for me, for Penny, for us, was an incredible <laughs> comfort. Um, people in Thames Valley as well, people globally, actually, because I put some of that on Facebook, and it, I love that. You know, at least you know, right? And uh, people pray and ask messages, how's your mom? People I actually don't know who they are, as in they are Facebook friends. But do you know what I mean? That kind of Facebook friend, I actually don't know who that is. But um, (laughs) never mind. I know. Thanks, Facebook. Um, It's awesome. But i just confessing my sins or something. Maybe. I I don't know. But I appreciate the fact that even people I don't remember who they are are asking me from some part of the world, how is my mother? And and are praying. And and we, we shouldn't. I mean, Facebook's nice. But we don't need Facebook for that, right? We, we, we've got each other here. And we need to know each, each other's needs so that we can be praying, whether collectively together or for each other. That's the same kind of idea, I think. So let me take a moment to stop here for a second. And, and let's ask, think about this question. What's most meaningful for you from this point? Just this one word, this two-letter in the English word, we. We pray. Abba, Father. So let, let's stop for a moment and have a look. We've got, we got a minute or two for some sharing. We've got time. So anybody like to share? What's meaningful to you from this? What strikes you from this point about we cry, Abba, Father? What's meaningful? Stefan? Uh, I found from my own experience, even with praying together with people or praying together in the church, that I get to know people at a different and a deeper level. Mm. Deeper level. Sometimes they would say something to God which they find hard to express to each other. 
There's a bonding that happens. Deeper understanding. Yes. Yes. It's a bonding and a deep. It takes our relationships deeper. Deeper understanding of each other. Yes. Thank you. Good. Any other thoughts? Sharing our problems. Sharing our problems. Yeah, yeah. I find that in my Friday nights, we pray, and uh, they hear your prayer, and so they pray as well. And so it goes round. Yes, yes. It's lovely, isn't it? I mean, sometimes people message me to say they've been praying for me about something I've asked about, and I'd forgotten I'd asked them. (laughs) That was lovely. In fact, that happened with Becky uh, a week and a half ago or something. I mentioned that I'd been praying for Garth and Lissy. And uh, I just messaged her, and she messaged back that she'd, she'd been praying for, I think, for my mum. And I'd kind of forgotten I'd asked her, because this was before the hospital visit. This was before she was in hospital. And, I was, you know, it's very special to know someone's got something in prayer that you didn't know they were necessarily praying about. Yeah, Anetta. Um, unity. unity. Yes, it promotes Unity. Our bodies. Yes. Yes, it builds the body. It makes us a body, doesn't it? When one part suffers, every part suffers. That's First Corinthians 12. And the same thing with rejoicing or things like that. Dan? I think it makes us stronger as well. There's stronger. strength in numbers. Mm. If that makes sense. And I think sometimes, for me, when I'm praying about something quite deep, I can feel a bit like, uh, is this being listened to? (laughs) Am I talking into thin air? Is this meaningful? Is it it pointless? Mm. But when I'm with a community, because that collective faith helps. That's a really good point. Collective faith. Makes a big difference to our personal faith. Yes. Yeah. Well, who knows how exactly that's meant to work, but it seems to work. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Sarah. Um, I think it's like a sense of being held. Yeah. Held. I think like yeah. children they'll come to you and they'll, they'll when they want to be comforted, they'll sit in your lap and they'll want to be held. And I think sometimes praying together is like you're being held. Yes. It's like being comforted by those around you. Like you were saying about collective faith, but it's also even from a distance when you're not even aware that others are mm. praying and things like that, you're being held. Yeah. Have you ever had the? That's a great point. Have you ever had the experience of 
suddenly feeling like someone's praying for me. Has that ever happened to you? I don't want to be too kind of mystical about it, but I, I, I have felt that on a number of occasions. Just, I think someone's praying for me. Just that sense of a greater clarity of God being with me comes to me in, in a difficult circumstance. So, something to think about is in what way could it be more meaningful to you and to us that it is we cry Abba, Father. Okay, second point. Moving on to the crying. Because um, not, uh, not only we, it's we crying. In this passage, it's clear, as in many, that uh, we're not promised an easy life. We don't become a Christian and then everything's rosy from there. Uh, we join in the sufferings of Christ, which forms the character of Christ in us, which makes us more Christ-like, which makes us not only um, uh, a person able to enjoy fellowship great, more deeply with God, but also makes us better for this world and for the people who need us. This is what it does. The word cry here in Romans is this Greek word kratso, meaning groaning, deep emotion, uh, distress, to shout or to cry out. It has the implication of an unpleasant nature to the sound, to scream even, sighing and throbbing with pain. So we cry. It's not, oh, God, I'm having a tough day. It's, it's, not, it's that, God, I can't cope. What's going on, God? I, I'm at the end of my rope here. It's that kind of sighing and throbbing with pain. And truth be known, a lot of life is sighing and throbbing with pain. Not all of it, and not all the time. But it's true, isn't it? It's a word that's used many times in Scripture. Uh, it's the word used when Peter's sinking and he cries out to Jesus, save me. It's that word. It's this passage in Matthew 9. Uh, Two blind men call out, have mercy on us. They really need Jesus there. Uh, when they see him cry, walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out. That's a terrified cry. In uh, John chapter 19, the Jewish leaders keep shouting. They want to get Jesus' attention and drown him out. And in, verse Luke, in Luke 19, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I mean, that's the kind of cry. We cry. What's that conveying to us? That prayer is meant to be real. It's meant to be real. It's meant to be from the heart. It's meant to be honest, authentic, whatever other word you want to use here. There's a lot of groaning going on in this world and around us. Even in this passage, we have three kinds of groaning in Romans chapter 8. Creation groans. The whole of creation, everything in this world, in, in this universe, in this creation groans. We groan, verse 23, and in verse 26 and 27, the spirit groans with words that, uh, with groans that words cannot express. There's a lot of groaning going on. Um, what, what is this telling us? It's telling us that, that we've got to be real with God, that real prayer is real. And of course, this kind of, these kinds of challenges in our lives make us be real with God and make us look for our Abba, our Father, which we'll talk about next week. But why do we need the Abba? What draws us to our Father? What makes us grateful for him unless there's some groaning? We don't need him. And sometimes a Christian can go through a lot of our lives kind of pretending we don't really need God. Now, we intellectually know we need him, but it's like, oh, it's okay. Life's all right. You know, I can cope. And, but actually, most of life isn't that easy. We really need our Abba. We really need our Father. We cry. 
Abba, Father. And you and I, we face many situations that uh, cause us to cry out in that way, don't we? So my mother-in-law in hospital, my mother in hospital, went to see her yesterday. She's, she's had the operation, which is great, but she's still you know, in discomfort, not walking yet. My son in A&E, out of A&E, thankfully, and thank you for all of you who prayed, and he's still recovering and you know, all that kind of stuff going on. And we've got things like Leon's grandmother has been through a very tough time. Uh, Danny's father-in-law and mother-in-law and Be Becky and Sarah, your, your uh, parents are going through a, a tricky time. And we can probably all you know, put a few things on that list, job hunting uh, for you guys. And I just heard today that Sergei lost his mother. Uh, his mother died. Uh, was it today? Uh, the day before yesterday. Day before yesterday. I'm so sorry to hear that. And we join you in your in your grief, and we don't, there aren't really words. There aren't words to say right now. We're so sorry that you lost your mother. We have been praying for her because, as you've told us, she's been very ill for quite a while. Praying for you, praying for your family, and we'll carry on doing that, won't we? Because we cry about Father. But the groaning, the groaning, we don't know quite, quite, quite what to pray, but it says the Spirit prays for us. He intercedes for us with word, through wordless groans. We're going to be perhaps doing some of that wordless groaning for you, Sergei, but also for our own challenging situations. But there's a purpose to it all. This is the, the thing. There is a purpose. Now, before we get to the purpose, I've got a question, um, which is the difference between moaning and groaning. All right. What is the difference, would you say, spiritually, theologically, practically, what is the difference between groaning, which is clearly positive, helpful, and moaning, which I would suggest is not. Certainly, us parents here would not be happy with our children moaning. So what's the difference? What would you say is the difference between moaning and groaning, yeah? I think so that groaning is more involuntary. Involuntary, yes. Just comes out. Moaning needs effort. Groaning comes without premeditated thought, perhaps, or effort. Yes. I think it's kind of a difference between need and want. Uh, need and Groaning want. Is like I'd never thought about it that way, but that's a really good distinction between need and want. Mm, yeah, Stefan. I think similar to what Sarah's saying, but from my own experience, I would say groaning comes from a position of humility and moaning from a position of pride. Groaning from a position of humility, moaning from a position of pride. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Yeah. These are. Desperation, yeah. You know, it's out of your control. Beyond control. Moaning is actually within our control. Mm. Mm. Moaning is within our control. Dan? Yeah, similar. I think moaning is the dissatisfaction, the discontentment mm. with, um, with life, mm. the situation. So we moan about it. Mm. But, um, I think God wants us to moan to him. 
in some ways to get off our chests, as opposed to moaning at our wives or being grumpy and moody, and which is what often can happen to, well, not often, seldom happens to me. I'm more Italian of it. But I think moaning to God is, can help our perspective again. If we, if we are mature enough, right? So there's an honesty we need to have with God. And if we're feeling moany, we probably should tell God, right? Yeah. But I think, for me, the difference, I mean, and the word moaning is, I, I don't want to try and define it too, too tightly, but when I think about, if you like, the positive side of groaning and the negative side of complaining, perhaps we could say, I think of the Israelites in the desert yeah. who've seen the power of God, have been rescued from slavery, are being provided with food and water, and they still moan. Poor Moses. I mean, poor Moses. And how does God feel about the moaning? And the thing about the moaning is it's faithless. So groaning might be a struggle with faith, but it's not, God, you have abandoned me. God, you don't love me. I think it's more, I don't, maybe we don't feel loved. We don't, can't see the way forward. But that's not quite the same thing as a decided, God, you have you have abandoned me, you don't care. And so there's something in, in the different there. The groaning is somewhere still within the field of faith, I believe, somewhere still within that. But it all has a purpose, and we'll finish with this thought from Romans chapter 8, a little bit further on from where we just stopped. There's a purpose to all of this struggle, the we crying. And it's to do with, I think, Stephen's quoted this scripture uh, a month or two back in a sermon that you gave us, that there's good in God's heart for us through all this. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed. This is the point of it. It's a comping, helping us to be conformed to the image of his son that we might be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So that it's about being made more like Christ. That's why the crying goes on. That's why the groaning goes on. God has a purpose in it all. So we'll not discuss this now, but I'd ask us to reflect on what's meaningful for you about the fact that we then cry, we groan, along with the creation and along with the Holy Spirit. And what difference does that make to the way that we pray? The way we pray collectively, the way we pray for one another, the way we pray when we're just praying about our own situations, that's going on. Maybe you'd like to do what I've been doing the last four weeks, I think it is now, maybe five weeks, which is to use those four words at the beginning of Acts, um, Romans 8.15 as a, a bit of a framework for part of your prayer. We cry, Abba, Father. I start, I've been starting recently with praying and thanking God for the fact that I can pray with others, for others, and they're praying for me. And I'm crying and I'm groaning and I've got some things to lay before God. And then the Abba Father, I also pray about, but we'll talk more about that uh, next week. But maybe that's something to try and use to see if that might deepen our prayer and our prayer with God and in the power of the Spirit. I hope this is helpful. Let's pray together before we finish with a final song. <laughs>